welcome to We're Not Wizards. We are the best, but not wizards. Enjoy the show! Episode of We're Not Wizards. My name's Richard. I'll be your host for April. Right in the April, April, right up there at the peak, the almost like the mall peak of April. We're right in the middle <laughs> here. We're ready to go. I'm looking for somebody whose main role in life, you could say, they've been a bit of a role player involved in the kind of the board game industry. And they're not. They can you say they're right in the middle. They're not in like some kind of sunset over water kind of situation. They've been there at the beginning where they've grown something from sprouts, herbaceous sprouts maybe, all the way through <laughs> all the way through to the dark times, maybe through a bit of a skull hollow. But here's a person who has mapped out their way through board gaming. You could say they're a bit of a cartographer. Joining me from Thunderworks Games. I've got Keith Mateka. <laughs> hey, 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 thanks for having me. How are you? I don't know if I missed out. I don't know if I missed out anything. No, that was uh, unexpected and uh, kind of amazing. <laughs> I so. set the whatnot cabinet and maybe back and figure anything out. That was just totally <laughs> off the top of my head. Um, Keith is the I don't. What would you in Scotland? You would call you the kind of like the big the the high heat gin. As in, I, I usually just go with owner, you know. I guess owner so dull. I know, but I, like CEO is so pompous, and like president is like you know. I don't want to be associated <laughs> with that. And, um, <laughs> so, but I, you know, I'm, I'm a, I design, but that's not that's not the core of my job, right? Um, and the, things like creative visionary is. I like name. creative visionary. You're the guy that so, guys that mucks about with pieces of paper, and sometimes those game, some sometimes those pieces of paper have mechanics on them, and other times they've got invoices. <laughs> I, yeah, I'm a paper pusher. Is that what you just? No, I don't know. Let's not, you know, because I've already like I am, I am kind of vigorously trying to dig myself out of a pit with Keith, because first of all, right. Okay, for whatever reason, the booking system throw out some kind of random date and time. I don't know how it happened. And then secondly, yeah. because of British summertime, I interrupted Keith in the middle of his lunch. So I <laughs> so at the moment, it's a mortal sin. It's like yeah, it's like platitudes all the way through. <laughs> that's that's yeah. where we're going, baby. Um, so it, it's been a bit of a, a bit, bit of a quest to get here today. <laughs> uh, we're here. It's been a bit of a Thunderworks quest. Um, so, let's talk about Wisconsin and the dairy farm situation. Um, I mean, obviously, with a continual kind of cost of energy and prices and stuff like that, the, the price of, obviously, dairy and eggs and stuff like that continues to rise. Right. What's your, what, it's outrageous. As a, as, a, as a kind of, as somebody who lives in Wisconsin, you know, being involved in the state, you know, that's, that's just a state of dairy. 
What's your People opinion? People call America's dairy, dairy land. Why did why did is it because of the number of cows or is it because you guys drink there's lots a, there's of There's a lot milk? of dairy farms in Wisconsin for sure. So um, I I live in Madison, Wisconsin. So there's right. like obviously the two biggest, you know, the big cities in Wisconsin are Milwaukee and then yeah. Madison. Green yeah. Bay is known for its American football team. Yeah, but um. Uh, you know, there's you don't have to drive very far to find yourself a dairy farm in Wisconsin, <clears throat> and uh, you know people love cheese here and they love <laughs> football and <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. But the one thing that you might be able to relate to, right? Okay, is people in Wisconsin love gaming. So Ooh. that's true. So if if you're not aware, yeah, there's a little game you might have heard of called Dungeons and Dragons. Um, and uh, our friend Gary Gygax and Arneson and those guys were all based out of, uh, Lake Geneva, Wisconsin, which oh. is not that far from me. Um, and they did, they put on these little conventions there, which they shortened Lake Geneva mm. to Gen Con. So the biggest convention about gaming in America yeah. started right here in Wisconsin. And, um, when I was a kid, I used to go to Gen Con when it was in Milwaukee, yeah, uh, which is you know, it was like maybe an hour from where I was living at the time. And, and obviously it grew massive yeah. and it's now in, in uh, Indianapolis, Indiana and stuff. But so there's a lot of those Dungeons and Dragons artists that are still here. You know, I worked at a, a, a video game uh, developer, Raven Software here, here in Middleton. And like there's like uh, illustrations that like D&D artists did while they were working at Raven and stuff. So like. There's all these, um, there's a real legacy around Dungeons and Dragons here. Yeah. I think the fact that it gets ridiculously cold in the winter <laughs> probably contributes to people's love for gaming because they got to do something when they're stuck inside for months at a time. Is there, so, is there um, a plaque? I mean, is there like a plaque and a little visitor center where you can go and say like... like you you want to do just like some geocaching and like find... Yeah, uh, just like a uh, little Google Maps kind of Google view kind of thing where you go in and there's like a little plaque that says D&D started. This is where they were first well probably, met. Probably, like, I'm not the expert, but I, it's, it might be true. So um, Gary Gygax, is one of his sons, um, Luke Gygax, mm. now runs GaryCon, which is named after Gary Gygax, uh, in Lake Geneva, Wisconsin every year. And it's like a big role-playing convention. Like, not big, big like Gen Con, but yeah. it's definitely sizable and, and well-known among the role-playing community. So, <clears throat> and there are, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of game designers here, uh, especially in the Madison area. And, um, and like, gaming is well and good. Uh, there's, like, a ridiculous number of game stores per capita in the city. It's, it's just ridiculous. But, um, so, yeah. Madison's I, a good town to live in if you're a gamer. I can just imagine people saying, right, you'll come back here and you'll milk that cow, so help me. Don't you be dare running off with your role-playing for It's like a whole Star Wars thing. But I was going to the Tashi station to pick up some D20s. Come, <laughs> you'll come back. You'll be able to do that when you come back and you get two buckets filled, Luke. It would have totally, it would have totally yeah. changed kind of Star Wars. Um... <laughs> If we, if we set the way back clock, yeah. um, were you? I mean, were you one of these? Were you like an eighties kid that was kind of doing the kind of the Dungeons and Dragons? Was it kind of like a thing? It's like, oh no, no, we're not. You you know, everybody was doing Dungeons and Dragons, so actually going out and like playing outside was kind of like the kind of the nerdy <laughs> geeky thing to do. <laughs> I mean, um. I, I, I 
I loved fantasy when I was a kid, but it was mainly through like novels and stuff. And it, like, I was that nerdy, geeky kid that liked. I, I read lots of rule books from like strange games, like Dungeons and Dragons, or like Steve Jackson's Star uh, Car Wars, or um, I, I used to like love reading that stuff. And like, I dreamed of being able to do that, those things, but I didn't really have a like a community of friends that really were into that. So. Um, like I'd make up my own D and D adventures, uh-huh. maps and stuff. Like everybody makes maps, right? And when they're kids, um, or just like reading through source books. Um, and I, I think I fell in love with like the world building building piece of it. Um, and then I had like I played. Uh, I had a babysitter that like um, introduced me to a lot of board games for some reason. Like she would just bring over weird stuff that like wasn't the classics, like. Clue or Cluedo and stuff like that. It was, and some of those games are still in print. I remember, and I still actually have my copies. Like, wow. There's a game called uh, Scotland Yard just got reprinted. Yeah, 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 yeah. Scotland Yard. Yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. From the early '80s that my yeah. my babysitter brought over and taught us. Or um, there's a I don't I think it might be something called something else in the UK, but there's a game called Survive, where there's an island in the center of the table that's kind of exploding, and you're trying to get your little escape from Atlantis. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, and, um, your man. Uh, Bonacore, he he took that, didn't he? He did. <laughs> he took, he I, took I that. Think he's your man. He's not my man. man. I don't know. No, he's not. He's like he's going about. He's. I think he's retired. He was dropped out of Stronghold now. But yeah. Yeah. I remember because okay, Escape from Atlantis was one of the first board games I ever owned. Right. Me too. Um, alongside, did you also play Lost Valley of the Dinosaurs as well? No. Sorry. So, a Lost Valley of Dinosaurs is where you they literally had like these rubber kind of Tyrannosaurus and there was about four or mm-hmm. five of these dinosaurs that chased you and in the corner there was this huge plastic kind of volcano and there was an event card there was an event deck so every turn you would play like an event card and the volcano would erupt and you'd have like these plastic kind of red tiles that would spill down the side of the volcano and eventually kind of leak into the valley and your idea is you were to march yourself away um through the jungle through the swamp and try and get the treasure that was on top of this big place and it was made it was waddington's i think was it waddington's they published it and then i got that and that was the first game i got and then the next year i was like i i need to get a similar game to that and survive escape from atlantis was the yeah. next game and it had the big huge plastic kind of pieces I, I still like the plastic pieces from that 80s version over the, the current printing with the wood but the clip but art the clip art <laughs> you couldn't change but, uh, yeah, you that can't... was kind of like my, my beginning in games you know yeah did you then did you jump into like the kind of the hero quests and space crusades and stuff like that of this world or were you did you go more down the kind of the Catan kind of route instead? I mean I, I remember playing a lot of like crossbows and catapults I don't know if you're familiar oh, with that yes. I played a lot of that game that's such a good game <laughs> I just like blowing things up um but like the tabletop gaming kind of, uh, you know, faded at some point, and uh, I, I got big into, you know, PC gaming. And, right. Um, but the the games that I love were still fantasy. Like, I remember playing, like, Richard Garriott's, like, uh, Ultima series a uh-huh. ton. Yeah. You know, um, I, I dumped so many hours into those games, and <clears throat> uh, I still continue to, like, fantasy and, and science fiction and stuff. But I, I, I got more into video games, which then 
you know, and then I kind of got big into music and then that got me playing in bands. And then, you know, I went to school for music recording and then I got a job at a video game company and that I did that for 15 years. Um, and then <clears throat> I'm going to stop you. Like, I'm going to stop you right there, Keith. Okay. I'll just fast forward through a bunch of stuff. Just like, fast forward. But this uh, is what happens. It's like, I'm not always necessarily interested in the tabletop stuff because I think you can find an awful lot about a person from what they did before the tabletop because that can help kind of it helps me understand kind of how you got into it so let's talk about the 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 game the pc gaming side of things so did you play like monkey island and and stuff like that yeah i think everybody i think i mean like you know my dad bought a like a 486 ibm clone with a cga for you know yeah monitor with the four colors and like I, I played a bunch of games on there, like Defenders of the Crown, yeah. and, um, and I, I did some like light basic programming. Uh-huh. Like I, there was this, um, some magazines that you could buy, and they would have actually <laughs> yeah. program written out. So you copied it line for line, yeah. and you get to the end and you hit run, and you like if you made any mistake, the whole thing isn't gonna work. And there wasn't any. It wasn't like you know, it's not like nowadays if you're programming where you can run like debugging scripts and stuff like that and it says this line here is wrong this line here is wrong you'd literally have to go through kind of like pages of code and mm-hmm. as time went on there was like machine code and stuff like that which was literally just a, a like hexadecimal kind of numbers and letters and if yeah. you got one thing wrong the entire thing would kind of would kind of crash right. There's no like copy and paste out of the magazine. No, <laughs> it's not like that. Like, you kids are spoiled. You know, you just go online and search for something, and it's just kind of there. I'm talking about the real kind of deal where you're spending literally. You used to kind of get, and people aren't going to understand this, but on the computer that I had as a ZX Spectrum, you used to be able to do something which was called poke, and you used to be able to in- insert insert code into a game in order to be able to give yourself like infinite lives or a a level of like it was literally like the original game genie so you would like poke a kind of a game so you'd run that you'd run some code um and then it would allow you to kind of like mess around with the base code that was loading into the computer i mean that was that was before kind of like your konami code and everything everything kind of that um I was big into BBSs, bulletin board systems, yeah. right? So this is like for the uninitiated, you know, it's like basically you could use your computer and dial their local phone number and connect to the other person's computer. Like you had this, you know, you'd, you'd find this list of BBSs that you could potentially access and you set this dialer up to just call them because if somebody else was connected to the computer you're connecting to, yeah, you'd get a busy signal. You couldn't connect to it. So... Um, and if somebody picked up the phone while you're trying to do it, you know, as you know, that, that, that destroys everything, but, um, you know, you could lo- connect to this, an- another random person's computer yeah. and then like, check their message boards, yeah. download a file or two, yeah. and then, um, and then you would log off and then somebody else could get on. And, and if there was, if that person had two landlines, you could, two people could connect and you could chat in real time. And it was like mind blowing. So there's, because it's kind of like an internet that's in a very localized place. Um, so all the people that are doing this, they're all in the same area code because nobody wants to pay money yeah. to call long distance. Yeah. So then we would do like meetups with all these people that all were big, you know, computer nerds. Uh, and uh, so th- that was like a, 
a social group of mine that, that I was pretty involved in that was like outside of my school group. Yeah. Like, I get to hang out with my nerdy friends that love computers. But anyway, I just wanted to talk about that for some reason. Um, yeah. Um, I mean, I was, I'm always been, I mean, uh, I've always I've been a fan of music to some degree, but like at the end of the day, I'm a, I'm a metalhead, right? So I love metal. Um, okay. So, you know, my the first concert I ever went to when I was 14 years old was Iron Maiden opening up for Anthrax on the No Prayer for the Dying tour. Mine was Kiss and the Edinburgh <laughs> Playhouse. Go. There you go. <laughs> so, I mean, and I just... And I just saw Maiden last November in California. So like, I'm, I'm still a fan. Um, so I was, that was kind of like the hooks, the hooks mm. for me. You know, I liked, I like, I like dark things. So like I'm a big Stephen King fan and I like, uh, I don't know, I'm a little bit demented or something, but, um, and so metal really spoke to me and like the, the Maiden album covers and like the dark themes, like I always thought was interesting, you know? So, um, so that carried, that's, that's true to this day. So I, I played, I played in metal bands, but also at my primary instrument is, is the bass guitar. So, wow. you know, part of that is like loving like a funky bass line is a big deal. Yeah, so like yeah. I got big into, you know, Motown and, and uh, you know, different funk bands. Um, and then I went to school for music. So I played a lot of classical um, and, uh, and I was, you know, I was, I was growing up in the nineties. So I was loving my, my grunge stuff too. So um, I love, I've, anything with guitars and a cool groove and something that has some kind of like significant emotional impact when I listen to it. I also like things that are really complicated, you know, obviously um, we board gamers like to like things that are complicated oftentimes. And so I love my prog rock with my, you know, unusual time signatures and key changes <laughs> and all that stuff too. So who's your, um, who's your favorite um, bassist would you say? Because the thing about lead guitarists, right? If you're talking about lead guitarists, then people will go, "Oh, Steve Vai, oh yeah, listen to him and his widdly widdly guitar." But then <laughs> when you talk about bass guitar, well, it is. It's widdly widdly kind of. You know, he's very good. At, you know, it's wonderful. Well done. You know, you can move your fingers really really fast. But <laughs> that's yeah. I, I mean, obviously, I have admiration for like that level of skill. But when it comes to to bass, it's like that's not something. Playing really fast isn't really an attribute people care that much about. No. Um, so, like, Flea has always been my guy, right? So I like yeah. his hard edge. I like his funk lines. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he pushed the instrument, you know, to places, at least in, in the kind of injecting the funk piece into the rock stuff. I always like that. Um, and then, um, I mean, if I were, and that was kind of, he was big when I was growing up, right? So when I was learning a lot of stuff, Blood Sugar Sex Magic was out and like yeah. all those great lines on that record were a big deal. But um there's there's guys like Jaco Pastorius who's like known as a in as a really great bass player who pushed the the instrument in a place it never been before. Mm-hmm. But like the average person doesn't know who that is. Um so there's there's other uh guys like that. But <clears throat> I guess I would have to say Flea. He's awesome. So you mentioned you went into kind of like you went to, to to kind of further education. You're doing your music there. So was it a was it like a classical kind of degree that you went into, or was it kind of like? Yeah, it was like it was a it was a classical music degree, and then you had to pick an emphasis. So people would pick like music education, uh-huh. performance, uh-huh. Um, and that the university that I went to uh, here in Wisconsin had a recording. Uh, 
Ephesus. So it was really a music degree, a classical degree with like a handful of recording classes on top of it. So, yeah. you know, I'm taking six semesters of theory and, yeah. you know, at least four semesters of piano and all this stuff. So, um, and that was cool. Um, but it's like anything in life, well, at least for me, maybe, mm. maybe you feel differently that um, when you love something and then you get really into it, and then you really start to understand it from the inside out. A lot of the magic of why you fell in, that, in love with that thing in the first place kind of disappears. Um, yeah, no, no. And that I happened to that. me yeah. for music, right? So I did music for a long time, was in love with it, kind of saw how the sausage was made. And then like I lost a lot of enthusiasm for it. Um, and that also happened when I was I worked in video games for 15 years. Love video games. I'm getting into it. I, I can see how the sausage is made. And then like uh, some of the magic goes away. And so like I'm desperately, and now I'm doing board games. So I'm like desperately trying to figure out how to minimize that from happening too much. Um, so that, that's like a, like a personal quest, you know, like figure <laughs> out how do, I, how do I make sure that, that board games is still magical and exciting you know, after I've been doing it for 15 years or whatever. What kind of stuff were you doing in video games? Was it programming? Was it testing? Was um, it graphic well, work? you mentioned um, when you're talking about game, you're the, mm. the running the code, you mentioned the, you mentioned the up, up, down, down, left, right, left, right, mm. BA start. So I, I worked at for seven years at Konami right. in California. Right. Uh, so they're a video game publisher and they had, um, that was their U.S. office, um, and and my role started out as just like, as a, just a QA guy, you know, just testing games, um, and then I kind of moved up through the ranks and, and was into, I managed their QA department for a while, and then I was with my music degree, I moved into working on their music games, mm-hmm. um, and then I was doing like project management, like a, a production role, um, and then they shut down the office and. I moved to LA because I was living in the San Francisco Bay Area at the time. And then I, I worked at a, my second job in video games was at the video game developer uh, here in the Madison area called Raven. And they I worked on many Call of Duty games and Wolfenstein, and a, yeah. like, a, mm-hmm. like a Wolverine game and Singularity and some other titles. So, um, and so on that side, I got to, I was working on the developer instead of the publisher. So I got to kind of see the other side of the coin. And then I was doing uh, project management and there were the, I managed uh, some outsourcing stuff. I, I, I was kind of helped the, um, the asset team. So the guys that, that make the, the super high end uh, objects for the game. So the guys who make the characters, the vehicles and the weapons, yeah. are like those are the creme de creme artists uh, working in a Call of Duty game. So um, I worked with them and managed their stuff. And then I also... Did some was in charge of some single player levels for some of the Call of Duty games where, you know, for any given level there'll be like you know two three animators, a designer, an audio guy, etc. So like, yeah, um, I managed that team, worked with them on their schedule and helped make sure that they knew what was required to to get it done and make sh- solve problems. I mean, that's one of the the skills. I mean, those skills in terms of organizing information finding, you know, solving problems before they become problems, you know, anticipating um, what's going to happen, setting schedules, setting expectations, like all those skills that I used 
in video games transferred directly over to managing board game projects, including like, you know, I do art direction on all the things for Thunderworks game. So yeah, I'm working yeah. with 2D artists, but before I was working with 3D artists, but they're the same animal and they're, you know, working with artists is, is a, is a, its own little skill, right? So like having, having somebody that's really creative and focusing them and giving them all the things that they need mm. to hit a deadline, to hit a, a visual target um, on based on what I need. Um, it's not as easy as you would think, you know? So um, those are all kind of skills that I've, I've built up over the years that I continue to use to this day. I think the issue with creativity is it's not, it's not like a tap situation. I don't think you can just turn the tap on and have the creativity flowing out. I think artists, because they're kind of relying on getting that spark of inspiration, sometimes they're working on stuff. If they're having, right. if they're not having the best day, then they could be working on. I've done. I mean, I I do it myself when I'm writing. I can. Some days I like. I'll write one line and just go right. This is nonsense. I'm just going to set everything on the world on fire because it's not. Well, nothing's working. And then the next day I'll sit down and I'll write something and I'll be like half an hour has gone past and I've managed to put together like 600 words. And it's just like, you know, some days the creative stuff is there and some days it's kind of not there, which is a, a strange thing. With the video games, it sounded like you were getting more and more involved in kind of like the project management kind of business sense. So did that kind of make you then kind of reassess, am I, am I where I kind of want to be in that kind of situation? Yeah. I mean, I enjoy that work. You know, I like, well, I mean, first talking about the whole creative process, everybody's creative process is a little bit different. Mm -hmm. You know, people, um, there's definitely days there's, you know, people have things that they need that the, the producers like me or the schedule holders are saying, Hey, we need this thing. It needs to get done. We've got, you know, we've got a thousand people working on this project Yeah, and you know, we need you to write these 500 words or whatever. And it's just, sometimes it just doesn't happen. Yeah. So it's some of it is the skill of the, the producer. You know, you want those creative people want somebody in their corners, like somebody to represent them to other people and, yeah. or, um, or just kind of help them reframe the, what needs to be done. So maybe that'll help, you know, ignite that spark that, that are having a hard time finding. Um, so it's, I think kind of being a production guy in video games is a little bit of a thankless job. Um, but it's, I think it's really important. Um, it's, it's difficult. The thing that's nice about it is it's difficult to describe what you do in any real, real detail because it, it changes all the time. Um, and, uh, depending on the team, the makeup of the people on the team and what you're trying to get done, um, which is what I like about it. So it sounded like you were getting to the fact of like, Hey, you're just, you're doing project management stuff. Do you, do I wish that I was, uh, doing things that were more creative or something that like, and I, I don't actually, hmm. I like doing this work. The thing that at least early on when I was working in video games and, you know, I put, you know, thousands of hours into these projects and at the end of the day, the, the game comes out or whatever. Hmm. And there's nothing that I can point at the screen and say, that's, I made that. You did that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so that was, that was actually kind of difficult for me to kind of toil with that. Um, all my work is dedicated to helping other people get their work done. Yeah. Um, so, but I got over it. <laughs> you know, yeah. Kind of... Yeah. It's kind of a, I mean, it kind of, that kind of is kind of interesting to me in relation to 
one of the games that you created with, which is kind of like role player, mm-hmm. because role role player seems to be very very much about making certain decisions across certain values with the mechanics that you have at your control in order to create a certain kind of outcome. So it's very, very much a kind of a... Because you could look at it, and that was what surprised me by role player was that I looked at it and I kind of went, oh, it's a... Is that a kind of a... It's a kind of a fantasy adventure type thing. And then after you play it... (laughs) You kind of like going, no, this is, no, this is, this is nothing. This is kind of like, um, there's no adventure in that game. There is absolutely no adventure. It's so funny because it was kind of like, because I played it and I was, no, this isn't, this is, it's, and it was kind of like, it was kind of interesting kind of like playing it and then kind of writing the review and going, how am I going to tell people that this isn't, this isn't kind of like, this is not a kind of a fantasy based game, but at the same time kind of embraces so many different factors of kind of like you're talking about kind of like earlier on about the Dungeons and Dragons type thing and the actual creation of the character. And the whole point of role player is, look, here's a set of values. You have to manipulate those values in order to best serve the character that has certain traits kind of sitting in front of you. And now you right. telling me what you were doing in your previous jobs I'm kind of not surprised now that one of the first games that you kind of put together was all about kind of making sure the threes are in the, the threes are in the right place, the black dices are placed here, you know. I mean, and I, I love number. I love a good puzzle, right? And yeah. it's, at its heart, it's a puzzle game. And I mean, two of the things that you said were interesting. One, you you had me thinking about like what, what I thought you were going to talk about is that. Role player, you end, you start out with kind of a world of possibilities. There's lots of different uh-huh. things you can do. You can place your dice in any of these slots. You can take any of these actions. Mm-hmm. And then uh, the thing that I, one of the things that I think about is interesting about the game is that as you play the game, the door is closing. Your options are getting fewer and fewer. And it's not the only game who's ever done that or whatever. But I think it's an interesting element of the game. A lot of times, people. Uh, a game will start out with like few options, and then as you play the game, the number of options you know continues to grow. You know, you're putting more spaces on the board of Agricola or something like that. Yeah. Um, and so this one, the door is closing as you play, so you're like trying to squeak in those last few maneuvers or points as the the door shuts. And um, you know, after talking about um, kind of project management, like you have a similar feeling when you're closing out a video game. Yeah. Where it's like you know the the we got these features and uh, they're developing, but maybe some of them aren't making it. And he's like, okay, the door is closing. We're going to cut this. We're going to cut this. And then it's closing. And you've got like, we have 2,000 bugs. Which ones can we fix in the time that we have left? And you're like, you're kind of picking which ones. And then the door closes. And then it's, you know, then it's off to the to the, to the users. I mean, now everybody just patches all day long uh, for everything they ever do. But yeah. back in the day when I was working on, you know, PlayStation <laughs> yeah. 2 games yeah. and things that didn't have uh, patches, like, that was a real thing. Um, yeah. So that's that's what I thought that was interesting about you, what you said. And then the idea of like, there's no adventure in the box, right? No. So, and I've told this analogy to people before, but it's it's it worked for me on day one and it still works for me. It doesn't work for everybody. But <clears throat> I was thinking about um, how Magic the Gathering is a game about, you know, building a deck ahead of time and then you fight each other. Yeah. That's cool. You play it out to see how it goes. 
And um, then Dominion comes out. And to me, Dominion is, a, is that process of building a magic deck, but you don't actually play the game. It's like, uh, it's the, the process of building that deck, mm. but the, and that becomes the game. So to me, like Dominion is to Magic the Gathering as my role player game is to, to Dungeons and Dragons. So it's the game before the game. It's a game made out of the preparation for the game. Um, <clears throat> and so what I've, I've butted my head against is expectations, right? People have expectations of what something's supposed to be, what something's supposed to be like because of their existing experience, their, their, you know, their experience or whatever. And uh, since day one, when I started playtesting this game, you know, a certain percentage of people, and it's not a small percentage, and like, this is cool, but I want to do something with my character. And my response always to that was, and I stuck to my guns, which I, you know, <laughs> but I guess that was the right thing to do. But and I was like, well, this is the game I want to make. And if you want to go dungeon delving, there's a ton of games you can do that. Go play, yeah. you know, Mice and Mystics or Descent at the time. Yeah. Or yeah. Now, like every week, there's a new, you know, dungeon crawler popping up on Kickstarter. It's like, there's no shortage of opportunities to do the thing that you're asking for. I'm trying to do something different. Do you like this or not? Um, so, uh, and that's that's kind of where the original game came from. And then kind of the expansions, the Monsters and Minions and the Fiends and Familiars expansions came out of people asking that same question. And then me saying, well, okay, I wanted to create like a simple yeah. thing that worked with a solid base. Now I can build on top of it and add some of the things that people wanted. But I still wanted it to be a character creation game, not an adventuring game. So and then eventually, you know, it's like I get around like if I were to do an adventuring game, then I would, it would be a narrative-based choose-your-own-adventure style experience. Mm. But I'm not a writer, and that takes a ton of time. Yes. Um, and then the stars the stars aligned. You know, I had a friend who was a great writer, came to me with this this original idea, and I was like, yeah, I've been thinking about this for years, but I don't have anybody to work on this with me. Yeah. And I'm busy with other things. And he's like, what? Let's do it. I was like, okay, just so you know, this is going to take a minimum of three years. <laughs> and he's like, I'm in. <laughs> so, um, and that's where Roleplay Adventures came from. Yeah. Um, and you can see, you know, one of the big hooks of role player adventures is that you can import any character that you make in role player with any combination of promos or expansions. Yeah. And I mean, this, this love for this comes out of my love for video games, right? So like when I play, I pop in Suikoden 2 into my PlayStation 1, hmm. and then it sees there's a Suikoden 1 save on the memory card yes and it says do you want to import this character and i say yes yes and that's like such a cool experience yes um and he, i had an opportunity to kind of interject that experience into the cardboard world um and i don't know if i don't think i don't know if anybody has done that before or maybe there was an opportunity to but it's one of the things that i think is was kind of a fun accomplishment uh, definitely designing around that idea was not easy um i think it's but, uh, i think it's difficult to kind of have not to have to have the kind of the the, the the kind of the the steadfast confidence to say you're creating a character and that's it and you know to just say well that's it and then for people to go oh bah and you're right i mean there is you know there is quite a few different kind of dungeon crawlers but none of them kind of they all come with like a pre-made character and then if people are then wanting to kind of create their own character then they'll run off and do the role-playing side of things but the thing with role playing a character is it's always about 
you get your dice and that's it, and then you're always leveling up your character. As I said, the other thing that I liked about role player was the money side of things that came into it. But the money side of things was like a whole additional side of it was a kind of like, do you want to go to the shop and buy the stuff and potentially like you know gather a set of you know gather a set of armor that's literally going to score you more points, or are you going to just forget that for just now in order to kind of take some kind of extra money? And then you got the fact you were rolling like the gold dice. And if you rolled the gold dice, it's like, well, I'm going to take that. But also, do I take the dice in the middle? Because the dice in the middle's also got a coin, but the number on the dice and the colour of the dice isn't what I need. But I've just seen that the market has, ref- you know, when the market's refreshed, it's definitely got something that I've got that's all that set. So there's a whole, as I say, there was a whole lot of things kind of going, kind of going on, which I kind of appreciate. I kind of a, a you appreciate it the more you kind of play it, which is and there's that moment in which you're selecting one of the, you know, three to six dice on the table or three to mm, five dice. Yeah, is a, definitely a multi-layered decision that's going to affect the rest of the game, and there's there's so much that affects the fact that you, you took that one die, right? So like. You care about the color for some things. Yes. You care about the number for other things. You yes. care about the turn order. You care about like where I'm going to put it because that I'm going to be able to take that action. Am I going to be able to maximize that? But mm. every time I take that action, that means I'm going to be able to do that one last time over the course of the game. Yes. Like um, dexterity. There's a, there's a lot of pieces there. There's a lot of pieces there. Yeah. Um, yeah. Were you and, uh, see when you finished it? Did you step back and go, "Wow, this is pretty." <laughs> I'm quite, you know. Uh, yeah, this so is, what yeah. happens like you know, I work on these games for a long for a long time and then I yeah. they so the thing that was nice about that game is that I could it was really easy for me to say, well not easy, but easier to be like, hey, this is the game I'm making. I don't care what you say. Yeah. Because I had my day job. This wasn't like being having a successful board game was was not like my my family eating was not depend dependent on it, right? Yeah. So like it was just kind of a fun project. And then I had I had the um you know ignorance is bliss like i was just kind of following my heart i I wasn't i didn't think about how other people would react to it i was making a game for myself and i'm hoping other people like it too um and i and kickstarter allows people especially back in the day when kickstarter allowed you like could be successful as just an idea yeah um which isn't true anymore uh there's there's little to no risk you know i i pay for a little bit of art I, you know, I do a bunch of play testing and then I throw it up on Kickstarter and see how it does. And honestly, it didn't do great on Kickstarter. I want to say it, it definitely did. I want to say it did like $60,000 on Kickstarter, which by today's standards is like not a rare, not a roaring success by any stretch of the imagination. I mean, it's a success for first time or second time uh, creator, but it's not, you know, we see these $5 million campaigns and then you like, Oh, that's cute. You raised fifty thousand dollars. <laughs> just like they're grabbing your hand and they're gonna tapping it gently and going, There, there. Aren't you cute? Aren't you lovely? Um, Get back in your box. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, obviously I've I've built this entire company on that game. Yeah. And you know, i I've been there's multi you know, many games in the in the universe, uh, which is like an interesting idea because Initially, role player was designed. I mean, I was coming out of video games, and so the philosophy, mm. and when you're playing video games, a lot of times is the, especially if it's a first person game, is that you don't give the first person character, the play, character you're playing as, don't give them a voice, 
Yeah. You know, don't, um, don't have them like reflecting upon themselves in any real way. Yeah. It's all about creating a vanilla character that the player can kind of implant yeah. themselves on when they're playing so they can be more immersed in the world. Yeah. And that was, I had the same philosophy when I was working on role player um, where like I wanted to kind of keep it as vanilla as possible so that like people could create their own stories. Like there's a, there's a moment for people who play a lot of role-playing games for like strategy gamers, this doesn't happen where you get dealt out your backstory and you get your class and you get your race and you get all your cards set up. And then role players will oftentimes then take like three minutes and they'll start like telling everybody else about their character yeah. and how all these things interrelate. And like, you know, they start building this character in their mind just by being dealt a handful of cards, you know, and it's pretty magical, but it has nothing to do with how the game plays, but it's a fun moment. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I wanted to keep it vanilla so that people would kind of create their own characters. And then now and I've, I've, I'm building a world of like, you know, key characters and like locations that people can visit in multiple games and, and all this stuff. So it's been an interesting ride. Has that then circled back to the original kind of creativity that you had? Because you, you, so, sound, you sound like a creative person. I mean, you don't get into music because, you know, I like looking at crotchets. <laughs> you know, you get in there because there's like a creative spot, you know what I mean? Well, this is a lovely Steve, um, you know. Um, so there's there's different ways to express your creativity, right? Yeah. So it doesn't like coming up with an interesting game system is not the only way to be creative. So um, I've, I love working with the team that I work with. You know, I love creative problem solving, yeah. you know, uh, creative marketing ideas. And I still do the most of the development of tiles so right of titles most of the about half of the games from thunderworks maybe a little bit more than half are from other designers and yeah. i'm still you know designing a handful of titles for the for the company um but i think maybe designers probably don't like hearing this but you know designing a game is definitely less than 10 percent of the job of taking a game from idea to on a shelf with marketing and distribution and stuff so there's a, just the fact of the matter that publishing is, I think, is harder. I mean, maybe I have kind of some better design instincts than other people, um, and that's like a more creative thing. But I just to keep the company running, to get the games from idea to in people's hands to play them is a ton of work, mm -hmm. and that just eats up a lot of my time. So, and I, I like doing that work, but it definitely leaves it, it makes finding time to work on design harder to find. So the company's grown and we've added like a, a person or two yeah. that I've been able to push some of that work to. So then I've been doing more creative work. So I've been doing more design work, I should say. So does so, does is role player like a, a kind of a bread and butter game for you? Because it's out in distribution. Is it kind of out in distribution? Have you had a couple of reprints of the base game and stuff like that now? Or Yeah, so we uh, the base game is, uh, we're going to kick off the 10th print run uh, in the next month or so. You know, the, the first expansion, Monsters and Minions, has been printed, I think, three or four times. Yeah. And the second one has been printed twice. Yeah. And then Cartographers is in the... So those are the, the three that I that I, I designed, those three games. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then, um, you know, Roleplay Adventures I designed as well. But things like Cartographers was from an outside designer. Uh, but I, I did a lot... You know, I'm, I'm selecting the titles that we're going to publish. I'm doing all the art direction, working with the artists and deciding what it's going to look like. I'm I'm writing the rule books, uh, you know. I rewrite them from whatever the designer gave me. 
Yeah. So I'm like super hands-on because it, for a long time, it was just me. Now we have three people, but I, the still work still needs to get done. So, yeah, yeah. you know, a lot of it falls on me anyway. Um, so I'm involved in creatively and I do a lot of development, right? So I'm doing a lot of play testing of other people's, of these games. Mm-hmm. I'm making changes uh, because I think they need to be there. Um, so I'm doing development work, but there's less kind of like this game nugget of an idea came from me and then I took it to fruition. It, it's a lot of kind of picking up other people's stuff and like making it good. Um, but I mean, this year we released Goblin Vaults, which came out in February, which was, you know, I designed that um, with my friend Eric. And so that game kind of harkens back to the old days where when I was at Raven, Eric and I shared an office and All right. he did a lot of play testing of role player with me. And there's a lot of Eric Schlotman in that role player game. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And so we got together and we started working on another game together. And that was, I had this idea of like, uh, if you in the, in role player adventures, you visit Culbic prison, which is uh, this fantasy prison, which mm-hmm. is also the place where the lockup game takes place. Um, so it first happened in lock, lockup and then you play role player adventures and then you get to go there. Yeah. And when you're there in, in the game, you, you see these different inmates that are playing small games. And one of them is called goblin vaults, which is a card game. And the other one you can see people playing is called Emerald skulls, which is a dice game. Yes. Um, so I was like, it would be cool to make a game from the game. So let's just make this little game. <laughs> like a meta. You know, like, I have like a like one Gwent. sentence description of it. What's that? Like Gwent and the, Rich- exactly. and the Witcher. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah. <laughs> right. I'm a big Witcher fan, surprise, surprise. So um, because I, I love my fantasy. And so, yeah, that idea of the game from within the game. And then, you know, those guys ended up printing physical copies of Gwent and were selling those as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's, it's not the most original idea, but it's something that I... Other people have done, I think it's cool, and I would just want to do it. Yeah. Um, so we just started working on Goblin Vaults, and uh, and so it, it, it finally came out this year. So that was ex- exciting to see. Um, and it probably will be no, you know, probably be no surprise that we may be looking at dice game, fantasy dice games uh, for future projects as well. So we'll see what happens. With you, um, obviously running in charge, in charge of um, Thunderworks. Hmm. But you've also kind of done quite a few collaborations with um, who I have publicly told him and asked him his hair care routine, um, Ed Baraf, which he worked on kind of Skulk Hollow and then kind of Malpeak. Yeah. So has that become, has that also given you a kind of a creative outlet as well? I mean, how, how, and what was your involvement in both kind of Skulk? Skulk Hollow was, um, what, uh, it was a game I wrote about a, a, a few years ago now. Um, and it reminded me of, um, Shadow of the Colossus scaling up this huge behemoth in order to kind of take them down. And the, and there was also something very, very root. <laughs> about the kind of the little miniatures, you know, the little wooden kind of animals that you're kind of heading the attack against this kind of huge behemoth. But did yeah. that did that give you the opportunity to kind of do something different that wasn't in the kind of the, I guess, the kind of the role player universe? Because if you look at cartographers and if you put it side by side next to role player, you go, oh, this is pretty obvious. This is looks like it's all in the same place. Yeah. Whereas obviously Skulk Hollow is looks like it's completely different and the malt right. peak looks like it's completely different so did yeah. that allow you to kind of like go and work on something different 
And that was the intention. Yeah. yeah. So, um, the, uh, I mean, role player, I think, I think I was working on the expansion for it or something, but yeah, I was, it was kind of a slower time and I, I didn't have a, a ton of projects. Mm-hmm. Well, let's back up. So I started a relationship with Eduardo and I think we remember how we met in, uh, in, uh, differently, but, um, he needed a solo mode for his herbaceous game that Steve Finn had designed. Yeah. And Steve at the time wasn't interested in designing solo stuff and Ed wanted one for some reason. And I just reached out to him and said, Hey, let me, let me give it a shot. Um, I, I knew him. I'd asked him a couple questions because he was a Kickstarter creator and I was a Kickstarter creator, yeah. but he had done a lot more than me at the time. So I was like asking him lots of questions and just wanted to learn, right? I was hungry for information. Um, and, uh, like at the time, uh, I, my mom was in the hospital. I mean, she's, she's doing great now, yeah. but she was going to be in the hospital for like three days and I was just going to hang out with her. So I was like, Hey, I got like three days with nothing specific to do. I'm going to design this little solo. I'm going to try to design a solo mode for this guy. And I had designed a solo mode for role player and I designed one for um, my bullfrogs game, which was the first game I published. Yeah. So I designed a couple of solo modes before. Um, and, and uh, he sent me the files and I just worked on it for a couple of days and I sent it back to him. And then, uh, he said, this is great. You know, we, we, we made a couple of changes, but, um, it was pretty solid. And then it just became a thing. Like Ed was working on games designed by Steve Finn, who doesn't design solo. And then yeah. he would ask his buddy Keith to design the solo mode. Yeah. So then yeah. herbaceous, herbaceous sprouts, sunset over water. Yeah. Uh, I think I did the, the box one cabinet, the whatnot cabinet. The whatnot cabinet. I might've done one or two more. I don't remember, but, um, I mean, it's, to me, it's, it's as much as I said before. I love, I love a good puzzle. You know, getting someone else's design, saying, "How do I make an interesting solo experience with this?" Yeah. Maybe adding one or two little solo specific stuff to give it a, you know, a little bit more flair, and how it, and just like try to figure it out. You know, I can't. I want it to play as close to the original game as possible, but making sure there's not too much administration on the the AI or the yeah. the um, enemy part. So. Those were just kind of projects we, that I worked on for him, and um, and it, it gave me a creative outlet, like you said. Like if I'm, you know, spending a day on this project, that I can just, you know, hand it over to him and say, "Here it is," and uh, and then I'm done. I'm not doing art direction. I'm not doing logistics. I'm not doing yeah any of those kind of things. It's it gave me an opportunity to do those uh, creative tasks, and then then he came to me with this idea of this game called Skull Hollow. Um, it was like one versus many. His kid had come up, his son had come up with the original idea. Um, and he asked me to take a stab at it and he gave me parameters. Right. And I think, you know, anybody that's creative can probably confirm this, but like a blank canvas is intimidating. It's hard to do anything with a blank canvas. Like, yeah, you know, come up with an idea. Great. Versus like, come up with an idea that with, the, with these five parameters, and you're like, Oh, I could, I can work with that. That, that gives me something to balance things around on. So he gave me a core concept and, uh, and some parameters of things he wanted to see. And I just worked on a design for him. And my thought was, I'm not that busy. Doing a game design means I, that, that should be easy. I just come up with the idea and I just throw it back at him. Yeah. Um, well, it turned out that Skull Hollow was a lot more work than I anticipated. <laughs> um, just because there's four different big guardians and then there's four different leaders that you can have as the, the yeah. boxing team. And so the... I, I worked in QA for a long, a long time. You know the the testing matrix of all those different combinations of characters and 
and monsters and like getting them all balanced within each other was was uh tough and um you know i think we got close i don't know i don't know if we, i think there's some people online that, that have a, an opinion or two about like one or two of those characters but um and it's also it's difficult because it's a two-player game and i think two-player games are more um sensitive to like a, a skill gap between players right so if we're playing a two-player game and i'm just just straight up better at this game than you are like my brain thinks in a certain way that yours doesn't then like i'm just gonna have an advantage and i'm just gonna that's win that's time. my that's my middle son he is yeah. literally you know he you can give him rules um like we were playing what was the plane votes for women fort circle oh, yeah. game yeah yeah and he just looked i, I was like i was playing the um I, I was playing the uh the guys and he was playing trying to get the votes in and he just looked at the board and just went right i need to do xyz and that's it you know i'm just i'm halfway through turn five he's already winning at turn three and i'm just like some people are just like so i, I totally see that in two you know in certain two-player games you, to get the balance right is it's critically important because all that all that happens is this is if you've got two people who are playing the game and let's face it normally when if it's two players involved it's usually going to be the same two people it's not like you go this week i'm going to play with this person this week i'm going to play with that person it is usually just i'm going to be playing with the same person all the time so if there is that constant kind of unbalance regardless of how you kind of change around the characters then that can lead to people just not wanting to kind of bring it to the table yeah, I mean, we added like a little system in there to try to even that out. So if yeah. if I play against you and you're just way better at this game than me, no matter what I play, I'm gonna say this this character's on balance. I mean, it's the classic like throwing the controller across the room when you oh, yeah. when you die in Super Mario Brothers. It's like it's 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 not me. It's the game, right? So, mm. um, but, but I mean, I'm sure there's this, the game is 100 percent balanced. I'm sure that's true. But um, we we did it. We did it our damnedest. But we also because we're aware of this, you know, we added this system where like. You can take these little bone tokens yeah. to try to like the person who is a bit, bit maybe not as good at the game, or they they're not good with this particular character. They can still play that character, yeah. and they get this little bonus that they can take advantage of, and that will hopefully kind of uh, make people feel like it's more balanced when they play it or whatever. So yeah. we're definitely conscious of it. Um, but uh, at the end of the day, like Skull Hollow is just like a really fun theme. Obviously, I've played Shadows of the Colossus many times, you know, and, and that's there's a lot there's a lot of influence there. Um, and I love asymmetric games. Um, I mean, they're asymmetric games are difficult to design, you know, uh, which I learned a lot about working on that project. Yeah. Any game that has player powers is t- difficult to design because you, you know, to create things that are equally attractive, equally balanced, like that don't feel the same as the other players. Like that's, that's a tall order, you know, especially in a game that plays like up to five or something. Um, but that's a different topic. Um, did you did you get to address things that were raised in Scott Hollow with a follow up Mall Peak? Then did you um, bring some of the stuff that you learned from that into when you were bringing Mall Peak to the to fruition? So there's, I mean, we learned a lot in the first game, and so in the second game, um, I mean, Thunderworks was starting to do better. Yeah, so I was busier. I was doing more things. So that meant I, I didn't, and especially like if I have a hundred hours to invest in something, yeah. economically, it makes most sense for me to, to invest in a Thunderworks product yeah, yeah, versus like a product for somebody else. Yeah. yeah. So, um, 
I wanted to be less involved with the second one on like the super nitty gritty level, mm. like in terms of like changing this three to a four or yeah. not. Um, yeah. And um, so we brought in a developer and Ed had never worked with uh, a developer on this, on this series before he's done like a lot of testing and stuff, but never like yeah. uh, a developer, at least to my knowledge. So we, there was, a, there was some guy on board game geek that was uh had very strong opinions about Skull Hollow and had been doing some uh, his, of his own development of like creating his own guardians and variants and had very, these long, lengthy posts of all the things that he thinks that should be changed or whatever. So, you know, <laughs> armchair quarterback, right? Um, so we said, so we reached out to him and said, hey man, you want to work on these games? You seem to have like a strong opinion about these things. Yeah, yeah. Like, I love this game. Yeah. He loves this game. So we brought him in and he'd never worked in game development before. So I kind of, you know, took him under my wing to some degree, like he was doing things and I would give him feedback, but I'm always kind of trying to back away. Right. So I'm, I'm like, these are the great ideas I have. Go make them good. Like, so I'm <laughs> trying to be less involved, but also make sure he's supported and, yeah. and, and feels confident about what he's doing. So, um, and that, that's a gentleman by the name of Justin and he, on the new Mall Peak, um, I think he's credited as, as the developer, and uh, wow. he kind of cut his teeth on that one. Uh, with it was just Ed, me, and, and him, and uh, and now, well, for any if there were ever to be a future products in this line, hypothetically speaking, you know, I think he's going to take a, a bigger and bigger role because he's he really understands the game better, you know, probably as well as I do at this point. So. Um, so that's like how I've been, that's kind of my exit plan. You know, it's like, I, I like that I'm involved, but man, I got to focus on Thunderbird stuff and like yeah. designing some stuff for myself. Yeah, yeah. So um, I'm still, I'm still kind of, and Ed always says at the beginning of the project, he asked me like, how involved this, do you want to be Keith? Yeah. I was like, well, I always think I want to be involved, but then when it gets into the, you know, Hey, we want to play test this four times this week. I'm like, Oh man, I got other meetings I got to yeah. go to. You know? So I end up wanting to back off. So um it's been an interesting experience. And then at some point there'll be probably some Skull Hollow world stuff that's released that I didn't touch and it's probably yeah. going to feel weird, but yeah, that's okay. You know, you got, you got to let your babies it's go. It's like seeing them fly. Point. Yeah. On, go. On you go. Fly away. Fly away. Oh, don't, not near the tree. <laughs> not near the power line. Oh no. Um, yeah. But speaking of <clears throat> Thunderworks then, what's, what is, what's, oh goodness. Right. I'm going to, and this is a warning before I say this. But Keith, what's in the works for Thunderworks? <laughs> <laughs> Me and the Thunderworkers over here at Thunderworks <laughs> have been working on some things that are in the works. It's, um, it's you know what they say? <laughs> so all, all Thunderworks and no thunder play yeah. makes Thunderjack. <laughs> anyway. No, anyway, I... <laughs> right what's happening over at thunderworks yeah. so we've got two big kickstarters we did last year that are co that are coming out to backers so yeah the first one is called dawn of ulos which is in the world of thunder of <laughs> world of thunderworks the world of uh role player yeah um and that is uh, has a lot of roots in if you ever played um sid saxon's acquire from the 60s and 70s it has some it has some uh 
inspiration from those types of games. So yeah. it's a fantasy economic game where you play as a god and different factions are entering the world and you're helping them grow and investing in them. And then when they battle, you can help everybody at the table gets to try to determine the outcome. The losers get wiped from the map and the winners take over all their land and all their their all your kind of shares of that faction that you've invested in become more valuable. Um, it's really cool. And uh, it's, it's, if you like economic games, uh, it's, it's definitely worth checking out. Um, so that comes, backers are going to get it in July and then it'll come out to retail in August. Cool. Um, it's already on the water. So the game's done being manufactured on its way. Good stuff. Um, and then the next role player adventures uh, campaign uh, it's called Gulp Hex's Secret. It was on Kickstarter last fall. So it's a reprint of the base game and the reprint of the first expansion and then the new campaign. So the thing about Roleplayer Adventures is that it is an expensive game to make. And I'm you know, a small company. So and demand when we printed it the first time was higher than we thought it was going to be. Yeah. So we didn't have enough copies to really go to retail outside of the U.S. with it. Yeah. So if you're in the U.K., Unless you're a Kickstarter backer, you're, you're pretty much not going to get a copy. Um, and then the expansion, which was called Nefros's Judgment, which is like a, it's a compendium to the base game because you have to have it when you start the core campaign. Yeah. It adds all the backstory stuff. Um, and uh, and we, we literally had, I think, 300 copies of it left over after the backers got their copies. So it didn't really even make sense to send it to retail in the US. No. Um, so now there was an opportunity for people to um, grab a copy through Kickstarter and make sure everybody can secure what they need. And then, uh, and that, that pledge manager is still open currently if, if you wanted to add, if anybody wanted to check that out. Um, and uh, so that's, that's about to enter manufacturing and that'll be delivered in the October, November kind of zone. Mm. Um, so um, those are the kind of the two big projects. Uh, Goblin Vaults was just released straight to retail. We mentioned it earlier, it came out in February. It's a, yeah. uh, Got really good reviews. Um, the the Game Boy Geek gave it there's saxophone serenade, which is like his highest rating or whatever. So if you're into music, maybe you, you want to hear that, that sweet serenade. <laughs> to um, there you go. There you go. And then uh, so things that are coming up. Yes. Um, we're working. There's a a drafting game. I mean, it's I don't know if I should describe it this way, but it's kind of like. Sushi Go, but you're building a dungeon um, from the same designer as Cartographers, uh, Jordi Adan. And uh, we've been working on that one for a long time. That's probably going to go to crowdfunding this summer. Yes. Um, and then we have a kind of cyberpunk uh, resource management. That's such a generic term. Um, it's, I don't know. It's, it's, yeah, you, this, it has a it has a cool like hacking mini game where you're flipping tiles around in a central part of the board. You're riding this train around the board, picking up resources, completing jobs, and kind of going up this influence and notoriety tracks. And you're trying to be the the cool coolest uh, runner in uh, Mirror City. And so that's coming. That's from a, a new designer uh, out of Madison, Wisconsin, the dairy land of the United States. The dairy land. Um, named Stephen Kerr, um, and. Uh, I've got a, got a couple other stuff coming. I'm trying to think of what else have I talked about. Uh, there's a mech combat game that um, that I, I was actually one of my first designs that I shelved because I thought it was too expensive to put on Kickstarter without any real experience um, called Arsenal. But I'll probably change the name of it because all you footy fans out there in Europe 
like when they hear the word Arsenal, all they think about is football. So, um, yeah, but are they not called the Gunners? I don't. I'm, I, I'm, pre- not, a, I'm, I'm not a sports. I am pretty. I'm pretty. I don't care. Football is just like it's a it's a time and space where millionaires get together and kick about a leather ball. That's all it's about. But uh, yeah, let's let's actually go live to our checker. Uh, to find out our Arsenal called the, they are called the Gunners because their logo has actually got a big cannon on it so there you go <laughs> so yeah I mean I guess if a board game well, there might have been another board game that came out with the name Arsenal that. since then Maybe. I, don't know, I might change it who but, doesn't matter but that's a game I'm, I've been working on I mean I have a, a bunch of stuff that's secret but the stuff that we kind of talked about are the the dungeon drafting game yes. from Jordy is called Stone Spine Architects, mm. um, which is in the role player world. You, you, um, there's a minotaur named Hort Gully that's like teaching people how to make dungeons in the Stone Spine Mountains. Which you know, if you're there's a certain number of people have not I don't know probably not many who like has started to dig into this role player lore that we've been building and we try to hook into it whenever we can. I mean, the, for me, the thought on that is like. I like fantasy games. If I make another fantasy game, like, might as well put it in the same kind of world. Like, yeah. why, why should I make every single game in a different version of a fantasy world? Um, and uh, and then it gives me the opportunity to kind of connect them and create Easter eggs. I mean, I, I love Easter eggs and uh, in my movies and my TV shows and my video games. So, like, I, I really enjoy putting them in my board games as well. It gives people who are kind of super into what you're doing like something an aha moment or they know something that somebody else doesn't yeah but if you don't know that stuff it doesn't matter you can still you know you can still watch it and enjoy it like if you if you don't know who you know i've been watching the mandalorian so like if there's a character from rebels that appears in a mandalorian episode if you've never watched rebels it doesn't matter but if you have watched rebels and you, you know appreciate who that is, it like, oh, dude, yeah. That's cool. yeah you absolutely appreciate it you absolutely so. appreciate it so if people have listened along and they're like, this all sounds absolutely wonderful and they want to find out more, Keith, where do you exist on the internet webs? Where can they find you? Me? Yeah. So, Or the company or everything. Yeah, yeah. If you if you want to find out more about Thunderworks Games, mm-hmm. just email magic at we're not wizards.com. <laughs> and uh, yeah. Richard Simpson yeah. will answer all your questions. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> No, but really, um, you know, www.thunderworksgames.com is our website. Mm. You know, I'm I'm on Twitter and Facebook mainly, but you can just find me under Thunderworks Games. I'm I'm super easy to get hold of. So, cool. um, I'm I'm st- I'm still at that point where I think I'm a small company. You know, like and we are getting bigger, but you know, customer emails on Sunday at eight p.m. <laughs> I, I just sit there and I just answer them. <laughs> you know, yeah, like, like yeah. um, some people are get surprised. They're like, oh, I didn't think you would respond. I was like, there's only yeah, three of us. Yeah. And so there's a 33% chance you're going to get me. You know, so, <laughs> there's, that, um, there's that chance. And you, just, and you should be happy it's me. You know, that's, you should be delighted. Your little cup of joy should be overflowing yeah. with the fact that I'm answering yeah, so he's, your email. if you want to you know, ask me a question or Dude. whatever. I'm, I'm always uh, available. At a reasonable hour between Monday to Friday. Normal time, people. Come on. Let's not. Um, <laughs> you know, Keith, Keith try to spend time with his family. Yeah. Don't make yeah, me, well. you know, don't, don't, don't be that person. Um, 
And what we'll do is we'll put all those, we'll put all the various links in the in the show notes so that we've got notes to show. If you want to keep an eye on what we are up to, then just go to go to the internet webs and search for We Are Not Wizards, and you'll find us in all the different places that have access to the internet. And that's as far as we can take that. Um, if <laughs> If you like our words, go to we're not wizards.blogspot.com. If you like the podcast, then and you want to find out more or you want to download other episodes, you can go to we're not wizards.com on that. And we're on Twitter and Facebook and everything like that as well. If you are going to show some support, tell other people that the podcast exists. Um, if you're feeling especially cheeky, apparently the board game geek are doing their annual awards, uh, and uh. And you can drop us a vote in the podcast section. But there's other people you should be dropping a vote for. Beyond Solitaire and the Giant Brain and Polyhedron Collider and Board Game Snobs and the wonderful Ben Maddox at Five Games for Doomsday and um, Tabletop Games Blog and all these other people who are much more deserving of your vote then than we certainly are. But if you would like to help us out a little bit more, go to Apple Podcasts and drop us a rating or review. If you are going to be giving us a rating or review, don't give us 10 stars because it makes us big-headed. But at the same time, don't give us one star because it makes me cry. And, you know, I'm a mess when I cry. And, um, uh, yeah, just give us a five because it's in the middle and it's average. And uh, we're just a little bit average. But the person who's not been average... Today is rather wonderful, rather fantastic. <coughs> I was going to say, gaze at my thunderworks in despair. <laughs> it's Keith, Keith Matega. <laughs> thank you for thank you for guesting. Yeah, thanks for having me. I've got one more question, but just to remember that we're many things, but we're not wizards. Are we wizards, Keith? Probably. Oh, really? Just like, what is it? Have you been like emailing each other before you've been coming on the show just to like annoy me? Is that what's happening at the moment? This is like everybody what? is saying maybe or I don't know or might be. It's no. The answer is no. You're not a wizard. It's no. It's quite simple. It's in the title of the show. We're not wizards. If you're coming on and saying maybe, remember who's editing the show. I'm just saying. And okay. And then it's time to say goodbye. So it's a goodbye from um, Captain Disappointment himself. <laughs> Say goodbye. <laughs> say goodbye, Keith. Goodbye, Keith. <laughs> and it's a goodbye from me. Remember, stay safe. Roll sixes. Make something awful. And, um, oh, I don't know what to say. You know, be a role player. Make something play. awful. Hopefully not everybody hates it. Ah, that's Just do that. But also check out role player because it's, it's good fun. But until the next time, goodbye. Bye. <clears throat> you don't get to say goodbye. Wizard is never late. Is he early? He arrives precisely when he means to. Mm-hmm.